Hey everybody, let's talk about interpreting dreams. Interpreting dreams is a biblically based spiritual practice. God communicated with prophets through visions, but also through dreams. And both the dreams and the visions were made up of these symbolic representations. Dreams were used as a communication tool for all kinds of people in the Bible. You had Joseph in the Old Testament, the other people who were in prison with him as well. You had Pharaoh, Nebuchadnezzar, and all that information conveyed via dreams in the Christmas story. Dreams were a means of communication between all these people and heaven. And the same thing is true for us. Yes, dreams interact with our brain chemistry, but they're also a result of our connection to heaven. And how those people in the Bible interpreted their dreams is also available to us. The tools we're going to use here came from Swedenborg, who through his access to heaven, studied the spiritual side of dreams and broke them down into these three kinds. We've got our revelatory visions, spiritually instructive dreams, and what we're going to call weirdness from nearby spirits. Revelatory visions are from the Lord by way of heaven. These were the prophetic dreams spoken of in the word. Spiritually instructive, these come by way of angels who are there to support all of us. And our awareness of this kind of dream was much more common in ancient times. Through these dreams, people would be taught about spiritual things. And then finally, yeah, the weirdness from spirits. In brief, we're all governed by a consciousness network of spirits, which is run by the Lord's divine design. So when we're asleep, some of these weird dreams that we have are like overhearing a conversation at a restaurant but experiencing the content of it as if it were happening in your own life. Of these three types, the second one has a lot of potential for us. Swedenborg, through his spiritual communication with societies in heaven, learned that, quote, the earliest church, which is his way of saying the earliest spiritual era in the human race, experienced direct revelation through personal contact with spirits and angels, and also through visions and dreams sent by the Lord. These gave them a general ability to recognize what was good and true. It doesn't sound so bad. And look at what, what's the point. What's the point of these dreams? To recognize what is good and true. Because what's good in life and what's true in life, that is the stuff that makes up heaven. So dreams can be this valuable tool for spiritual growth. Dreams are an asset to help us in our own process of self-examination, which is this critical component to spiritual growth. It's not that every single dream that we have is going to be easily mined for this stuff, but experimenting with applying the following steps and principles to your dreams is rich with potential as a way to support your own journey of spiritual growth. So here are three principles for dream interpretation. Principle number one, to effectively interpret your dreams, you need to understand that the representations in dreams are personal. Spiritually instructive dreams are spiritual messages in imagery that's familiar to us. There is certainly universal imagery symbolism, but there is this crucial element of personal imagery symbolism in dreams. And even the universal imagery is often personalized. The people who appear in our dreams are a form of imagery as well. Usually they are symbolic of qualities that relate to our life and state or what that person means to us. So you think, why is this person in my dream? Well, who are they to you? Why is it like this? It's part of the way that our minds work. Angels give us messages, 
But those messages, in effect, get filtered by our minds. So the angel speak that comes in gets turned into the images and events that we witness and experience in our dreams. As Swedenborg puts it when writing about the influence of angels and spirits on our dreams in Secrets of Heaven, the things we remember and the things we love are vessels. So he can hold something. The thoughts contained in those vessels are received as various representations. So that's becoming mental imagery according to the differences in their form and changes in their state. So the, the particular mind that you have is a receptor that when angelic imagery comes in, it gets translated into the stuff that you know and the stuff that's familiar to you, which means it's customized to who we are at any given time, which leads us to principle number two, which is to get the most out of the spiritual instruction latent in dreams. You need to understand that dream messages are like the news. They are current and they're time sensitive. You want to consider the meaning right after the dream, because a lot of the insight that we get is through the emotions that the dream stirs up in us. So there's value in contemplating the meaning soon after to get the application it has for the emotional state that we're in right now. Swedenborg learned this is how it worked in ancient times too. After a dream like this, a person would have suggested to them a sense of its meaning. He wrote, I learned further that people in the earliest church had the most pleasant dreams and visions as well, and that the meanings of the dreams and visions were suggested to them at the same time. So you get this experience and then this inclination towards what it could mean. Principle three might be the most important principle to understand. Our ability to interpret dreams is directly connected to our intention to live a life that is aligned with what is good and true. Our alignment with heaven strengthens the power of our dreams or of angels and the Lord to use this means of communication with us. You need to have a conscience to make the most of dream interpretation. We have to be trying to do something good because there's this inherent goodness in the language of dreams. So viewing your dreams from your conscience or your sense of what is right and wrong can help you see what heaven and God is trying to tell you there. The kind of perception that the ancient people had, according to Swedenborg, was because of their heart commitment to love, to loving God, loving the human race. And this is what he wrote about it. The progeny of the earliest church have taught me about the level of perception they had enjoyed. Like Swedenborg went and met these people in heaven. They had possessed the, the ability to perceive any proposition of faith almost to the same degree of angels as angels with whom they communicated. So they could get any spiritual principle intuitively almost. One reason was that their inner self, their spirit was united to heaven by means of internal breathing. So there's this whole world of how people used to interact with their own bodies, which led to how they interact with heaven. But what we want to look, focus on here was, another was that love for the Lord and love for one's neighbor carry this communication with them. Because these two kinds of love unite people on earth with angels through the essential core of their life, which consists in such love. So that love is what connects us to heaven. And so when we're striving to love the Lord and the neighbor, when we're living the same kind of life here on earth, that they live in heaven, that opens up communication and our dreams become even richer sources for insight. It strengthens our ability to perceive the meaning of our dreams. So we've got these principles. Let's go through our six steps of application. Step one, set an intention to interpret your dream for the sake of your own spiritual growth 
for your path of spiritual awakening. That is a spiritual goal, and that is what's going to open up this communication. Step two, prayerfully, humbly ask the Lord for help. Center your heart and your mind on God and God's willingness to help you grow spiritually, because that's where the messages are coming from. So we've got to acknowledge the source. Step three, record your dream. Just write it all out when you wake up, just after you've had it, when you can still remember it a bit. Step four, think about what each element of imagery means to you as a symbol. Note these elements. It doesn't have to be perfect, but just what's your gut? Write it down. You can draw on universal symbolism, or you can look at Swedenborg's system of correspondences for interpretation, but pay attention to what resonates individually for you. Step five is connect the dots. Uh, so take these symbols to see how do they create some kind of narrative of interpretation. See how it weaves into a message of support or clarity for your life would see, that would seem to be coming from the most loving and wise source. And finally, step six, hold the outcome lightly and with humility and submit it to the providence of God, knowing that the Lord is guiding your life. So those are the steps, but let's see what it looks like to actually apply them with these five handy examples. The first three examples that we're going to look at come from Swedenborg's own Journal of Dreams. This is a remarkable book. His dream journal is one of the oldest and longest series of dreams and their analysis known to exist anywhere. He is exemplary for how he could draw personalized spiritual meaning from his own dreams. And this is a template for us to draw it from our dreams. You think about it, these are dreams from the mid 1700s. This is dream history with their interpretation next to it. Super cool. All right, so we took them and we put them, in, in case that's not exciting enough for you, we put them in comic book form. So let's follow Swedenborg's journey through the dream and then his interpretation. We begin, I came to a place where wondrously large and high windmills were turning with dreadful rapidity. That, no matter what century you're in, yep, big place, stuff was outsized, it was dangerous and strange. There he is, coming up toward the windmills. So we've got a character, these giant, too fast windmills. Then I came into a darkness and I crept upon the ground and was afraid that one of the sails of the windmills would lay hold of me and kill me. I actually got beneath a sail, which then stopped. By the way, windmills were a big part of the industrial machinery in his day, so now we think of them as these quaint things. To him, this is like a big piece of modern society. Okay, got beneath the sail, though it didn't kill them, which then stopped. And I was well off with it, for the sail helped me. A sail helped me. So we have a, a turn in the characteristics of the sail. That's the dream. What does it mean? This signifies that the day before I was in combat with my thoughts, which are meant by the sails of the windmills. Everything is about you in your dreams. You could say, well, he's having this dream and the, there's the, the story is that it's him trying to get past you know, external foes, right? That there's, he's in some kind of danger for some reason, but he's saying, no, these are his thoughts. This is Swedenborg's thoughts. So obviously this is Swedenborg. So this must be like the part of him, the, con the, the soul of him, the conscious 
middle that can look out, the observer as they call it, that can look out and see that these thoughts, and these thoughts are spinning too fast and causing problems, okay? And meantime, I had no idea what I should do. Swedenborg had a mind that could really get away from him, and he talks a lot about struggling with his thoughts. But with God's assistance, my thoughts were tempered, and so I was brought away safe and sound. For the sa And look at how he mentions here that the sail helped me. So it's not that you gotta get rid of your thoughts, but in the end, and what he's doing, reading between the lines of the boxes here is saying, with God's assistance, that this dream is teaching him, even though you don't see, oh, God then came down and slowed this sail so it didn't hurt me with his divine God-like hand. He just walks through life, dream life, but then notices somehow he's taught by this experience. God was able to take the chaos of my thoughts and bring me into this new state of life where they not only didn't hurt me anymore, but they helped me. That's dream number one. Dream number two, where we deal with some other people. I seemed to be in the company with some who endeavored as it were to make gold, but they saw that they must climb up, but this they could not do. Uh, can't get up, falling down. Okay, two or more external people. At last, oh, here they are. I was with two persons who attempted, in spite of all, to rise up, although our Lord was by no means with them. And Swedenborg is saying, it cannot possibly be done. And so I went up before them. So somehow he could get up. I had a rope and pulled. I observed that underneath there was something that pulled strongly the other way. At last I saw it was a fellow whom I had the better of and lifted him up. Oh, go Swedenborg, lifting two people. And so I congratulated myself and said that it was as I had said. Is this again, is this about a couple of people in Swedenborg's life that he needs to grapple with? What's this signify? Signification, I believe, is this. The gold signifies what is good and pleasing to God. One must climb up to get it. So you had these people trying to make gold, which is something that people were really trying to do in those days, like how do alchemy, right? So they're saying, look, we, we've got to get up here to what is good and pleasing to God. And I know what we can do. We're going to be able to climb up here. But it's not working. And this is by no means within the compass of our own power. However much we imagine that by our powers we are able to do it. But then we find that there was that which pulls forcibly the other way. However, at last we conquer through God's grace. So this heavy weight here is not that Swedenborg has got what's good and pleasing to God and these people don't. It's that these are all parts of Swedenborg and that this part of him is pulling when he's trying to embark on the mission that these people are trying to embark on to find what's good and pleasing to God, he understands, look, that actually this part of me that wants to do it myself is pulling against me, but this part that is up here is aided again by God. He comes away from this as well with more reverence, with more credit giving to God, even though, again, you don't see God much as a character in these dreams. Last one, for dog lovers out there. 
dreamed that a big dog, which I thought was chained, flew at me. Alrighty, if I'm starting to look at this with the eyes of Swedenborg's interpretation, they thought it was chained. Whatever this thing is, whatever part of Swedenborg this must be, I thought, I thought that was okay. Flew at me. There goes that dog. Fearsome. Run, Swedenborg. Hmm. It doesn't get away. And bit me in the leg. Someone who came held his horrible jaws and prevented him from doing any more harm. But what's the dog? Surely the dog must be one of Swedenborg's great rivals or somebody who he's, a, he's battling with to be the greatest. Meant that the day before, I had heard an oration in the medical college. What does that have to do with a dog? And I desired in thought that they should name me as the one who understands anatomy best. So the dog is not somebody else that he's grappling with. The dog is not a dog. The dog is Swedenborg's pride. And this is a symbol that comes up over and over. This thing that is attacking him, just like his thoughts were threatening him in the windmill dream, Swedenborg's pride and his desire to be named better than other people is the, the greatest threat to his life. He thought it was chained. Like, I think I had this under control, but I couldn't help it. I was here at this thing and they're reading about anatomy. Come on, just say, say Swedenborg's the best. Say that he's the smartest. That is just this thing that's going on almost under the surface when you're awake, but your God is telling you in your dreams, that dog is not chained. He, that dog is, is a problem. The night afterwards, I saw someone limping leave me. So this is actually a little bonus dream, which may be that through this desire, I had become like one lame. The focus is on bettering Swedenborg's spirit. This is telling him about, here's where your thoughts, God needs to help you with your thoughts. Here's where God needs to help you with your pride. Here's how you can't get there without God's help. All of this is moving Swedenborg down this funnel, which he is joyfully going down at this point, by the way. He is excited about the prospect of being reformed. And so the dreams are this valuable information to him. It's showing him commentary, insight into what he's like. Okay, so those are remarkable dreams. And you can see how he personalized the meaning of them to support his own spiritual growth. But what if you're, you don't happen to be Swedenborg? Well, here's a couple examples of people using these steps to interpret their dreams in the here and now. So for dream interpretation, I have an ongoing practice of steps one and two, which is having an intention to use the meaning of my dreams for my own spiritual growth, and then also asking God for help in that process. So here's step three. I had this dream the other night where I was hosting a party. And as part of hosting this party, I had to make a fire to, I don't know, keep people warm. But I was sort of frantically running around the house and trying to make this fire, which ended up being this queen size bed space of just flat sheets of paper that I was just kind of randomly lighting on fire. And I left the room and then came back and there were lots of guests at this party. And some of the guests had just cleaned up the fire and were sitting, you know, had put it out, cleaned it up and were sitting on the couch nearby. And I was not only mortified, but also really mad. And I said to them like, I've been trying so hard to make that fire and you just got rid of it. And they replied very matter of factly sitting on the couch. Well, 
it wasn't a good fire, was it? So step four, the meaning of all of that imagery. Me hosting this party, I felt like is a picture of me living my life, but feeling like I have to be in charge. You know, I'm the one making sure this party is gonna go well for everybody. And then me struggling to make this fire is sort of a picture of the work I'm involved in, but really the way I was trying to make the fire is this sort of frantic efforting. And that was giving me the sense that I'm not doing it in alignment with God. And so similarly, the way the fire was this flat open space that I was sort of trying randomly to light in all these places is sort of the outcome of me trying to live my life when I'm not remembering the place of God in it. And so then the guests that were there who mirrored to me that it really wasn't a good fire, that was the help I needed to see things for really what they were. And so then my angry reaction was a picture of how I needed to let go of the way I was approaching it, but I wasn't willing to. And so my experience in that dream of noticing my own angry reaction was sort of the wake up call that I needed. Step five, connecting the dots. This dream really helped me see my state in a clearer way than I had been able to before. It was really corrective in a loving way. Like, hey, you're suffering and you don't need to be. And the message I got was, I'm not hosting, you know, like I'm not the one in charge of my life. And I can remember that God is really the one in control and I'm a participant in this whole thing. And when I do that, when I make that realignment, then I'm sure to make a better fire anyway. Step six, trust in providence. When I had this dream, it felt painfully true and spot on, but it also felt like this invitation to have a reset. You know, it was telling me I needed to have a reset and that that was even possible. And so I held the dream and its meaning in my mind through the next couple of days and continued to reflect on what sort of I could be doing differently in the way I was approaching my life. And all the while trusting that God would guide me. And so changes of state you know, really take time. There's a part of it that's outside of our control and God is really the one in control of that. And so I don't feel like the dream itself cured me, but it was this handhold and this mirror for me that helped me go through the next three days as my state did shift. And by the following week, I was feeling much more centered. My eight-year-old daughter, Annika, died in a car accident in 1991. And even though I had always believed in an afterlife, the thought of waiting 50 or more years to reunite with her was excruciating. And I found there were also more than one phase of letting go of her uh, even after later after her death. Dream interpretation was one of the tools that helped me navigate the very confusing journey of grief. And I had a handful of dreams in which it seemed like an actual connection with Annika, but most of the time when Annika would appear as a character in my dreams, I felt like it was showing me something about my own grief process, my feelings about her and about letting go of her. So for instance, sometimes the character of Annika would appear in one of my dreams and I would know she was going to die soon, but I was keeping it secret and I was being careful not to uh, look too eager to be near her for fear of jinxing it and making her disappear. And I felt like that was showing me that this part of me that knew I had to let go, that she had died, um, 
didn't want to let other parts of myself know that the parts that wanted to just say no no I, I somehow it won't be this bad in other dreams Annika had died but her body was still with us and we had an inserted some kind of robotics so that she would still move and talk and we could pretend she was still with us basically uh, but of course in the dreams that was always um, not satisfying she would move very robotically she was not very responsive her body was cold to the touch and I felt like that was showing me that to try to hang on to a kind of you know wanting to hang on to a kind of way of feeling her that was like before she died was not going to be satisfying that was not a direction to go that would lead to healing or satisfaction I remember a dream in which Annika and I were looking at a book together. We were looking at the pictures and about halfway through we decided to read the book and she wanted to just start where we were there in the middle of the book and read from there but I wanted to turn back to the beginning and Annika didn't want to do that but I insisted on it and that Annika was sad about that and I felt like that dream was showing me that Annika would want me to move forward like to move forward for from where we were right there in our relationship but I was wanting to go back I was wanting to search for something I had before she died so lots of ways my dreams were showing me that it was it was going to be a dead end to try to grab for something that felt like before she had died in terms of my relationship with her but even though there were those many dreams showing me that I had to let go of certain things to move forward and to heal, there were other dreams also teaching me and telling me that I still had to feel my feelings, that that was a very important part of the grief process, to feel that sadness and be allowed to release it. I had a dream in which I was uh, an enslaved woman with an oppressive master and someone had taken my baby away and I was sad, but every time I would start to cry this oppressive master would glower at me and threaten me and I wasn't allowed to cry and I felt that the dream was showing me my rational self the oppressive master was restricting my emotional self telling it you're not allowed to be sad when I I have to be sad I had to be allowed to release those feelings so that dream was uh, teaching me that feel those feelings uh, let that sadness out there came a time many months after Annika had died uh, during waking life where I just really realized I had to let go of this hope I had that somehow I would be able to be aware of her in an obvious enough way that it could feel like I wasn't losing her. And when I faced that that wasn't going to happen, um, it was actually more painful than right after she had died and it was excruciating I just was really sobbing by the end of the day I felt like I had been physically beat up but that night I dreamed I had a romantic dream about myself and my husband being romantically attracted to each other and I felt like that dream was telling me that's you're joining with the right kind of thinking that's that's what's gonna lead you toward healing uh, because that's what that symbolism would mean to me attracted to the right person attracted to the right uh, kind of thinking 
And actually, when I woke up the next morning, it was the first time since Annika had died that I felt like I was going to be okay eventually. I, the first hope I felt that life was going to be okay. I was going to heal and it was going to be all right. Okay, so we got our principles. You saw it in action with those examples. And now I just want to go over the steps again. So you can take a screenshot of this frame if you want to keep it with you to help you in finding the spiritual support that is there for you in your dreams. Step one, set an intention. Step two, ask the Lord for help. Step three, record your dreams. Step four, consider the meaning of the imagery. Step five, connect the dots into a message. And step six, trust in providence. God is trying to help us out in every way possible. We just want to give him one more avenue by starting to listen to the dreams more. I hope this has all been helpful for your own process of dream interpretation. And if you want to look farther, we explored other nuances of dreams in the episode where dreams come from. So check it out. And I hope you find satisfaction in drawing on the resource of spiritually instructive dreams. 